Good morning, everyone. So good to have you here. And if you are new to the chapel, welcome. And if you are new, I would encourage you right outside the welcome table. There is a welcome table out there, and someone is there now, and then they'll be there after service as well. And we would love to have a record of your attendance here this morning, and we would also love to be able to give you a gift. We have some uh, information about the church that we would love to share with you, and then we have a gift that we would love to give to you as well. Um, you are going to get emails this week with some announcements that are going on, so I won't take much time to do that. Uh, we are in our summer schedule, um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't activities going on here at the church, so we would encourage you to get involved. I was thinking about the fact that uh, there are so many people on our prayer list. It's just um, really challenging. Uh, today is looking at uh, Gary Hoyt, who got some really great information. We were sharing that last time. And Diana Kelly uh, with her continued struggles. And Ron Lee's mom, um, who's uh, struggling. Marty Nyland, who used to be here and is not with us right now. But uh, he had a history of cancer and is now battling that again. Uh, Steve, and we got uh, some good news from Clyde Sosnovic that, uh, that things are improving with him. He wanted to be here this morning with us. So, so our list is long, and those are just some of the prayer requests that are there. I would encourage you to uh, look at those prayer lists and continue to pray for your family members and friends as we do that, um, as we remind ourselves of God's amazing grace. Uh, before we open, I wanted to uh, read a passage of scripture that I have been meditating on by God's sovereign providence uh, over the last uh, several days. I've been doing these series of devotionals in Romans, and it's in Romans chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I was thinking about um, Paul was saying that in light of the gospel grace, that God has been so amazingly gracious to us that if you have sinned and you have sinned in myriads of ways, God's grace is greater than that sin. And that no individual could ever sin against you as much as you have sinned against God. And God has offered you that amazing grace in Christ. And he says, in light of gospel grace, what are we called to do? We're called to have a surrendered life and surrender your body, surrender your mind, surrender your wills. And he says that you need to have a sanctified mind. And now as you live in this world today, I want you to encourage you to, to know gospel truth and apply gospel truth in the way you think. And the verse I was meditating on this morning, I'll end with this. It says in verse 3, 4, and 4 means that he's talking about what he's talked about before, all in light of God's grace. By grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So a surrendered mind, a sanctified mind, and a mind that is set apart for God. And when we do that, what God does is in us, and then he works through us, gospel grace. So I do encourage you today. In light of the darkness, in light of the troubles, in light of the trials, to remind yourself of God's grace to you. Let's pray. So, Lord, you're high 
and you're lowly. You're meek and lowly, Jesus Christ is. Father, you've brought us to a valley at times, but give us a vision. Lord, in the midst of the depths, help us to see you in the heights. Father, sometimes we feel hemmed in by sin. But Father, help us to behold your glory. Help us to learn the paradox that the way down is the way up. That the way low is to be made high. That the broken heart is the healed heart. That the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit. That to repent is to be victorious. To have nothing is to have it all. That to bear the cross is to wear the crown. And to give is to receive. Father, it's in that valley. I pray that you would give us a vision of your grace. I pray that in the night we would see the stars of your grace. Let us find your light in our darkness. Your life in our death. Your joy in our sorrows. Your grace in our sins. Your riches in our poverty. Your glory in our valley. Help us to worship you well today. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning, everyone. Would you sing Jesus Messiah with us? Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel. The rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah, Lord of all. Since he became sin. sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness he humbled himself and carried the cross love so
fear or suffering but joyful cries to the king of kings what sacrifice the father made to crush the son who bore our shame yet raised him of that glorious day to give us hope and a holy name oh praise the lamb for sinners slain our eternal praise let the nations of the earth proclaim 
song forever shall be. Let the anthem of salvation be the song that we shall sing. What deepened wounds, what deepened wounds have saved our souls? What blood that washed our sins of old? What precious hands have ransomed men and brought us to himself again? What hope is in our heavenly home where we will bow at our Father's throne? and walk with him on streets of gold and kiss the christ we long to hold oh praise the lamb for sinners slain who rode with blood our eternal praise let the nations of the earth proclaim and hallelujah oh praise the name of jesus our song shall be. Let the anthem of salvation be the song that we shall sing. Behold the city of the King. Behold the city of the King. Hallelujah, His glory is the air we breathe, hallelujah, behold the city of the King, hallelujah, His glory is the air we breathe, hallelujah, oh praise the name of Jesus. Jesus, our song forever shall be. Let the anthem of salvation be the song that we shall sing. And oh, praise the name of Jesus, our song forever shall be. Let the anthem of salvation be the song that we shall sing. Our song forever shall be. Let the anthem of salvation be the song that we shall sing. Behold the city of the King. Hallelujah. His glory is the end. city of the king hallelujah his glory is the air we breathe hallelujah you know songs about uh, heaven like we just sang you know of course make me uh, ponder that mystery and think through how on earth 
that will, well, not literally on earth, but what will that be like, you know, in the future? And I'm sure for many of you, um, as, if you're Christians, the promise of heaven is a great motivating tool, right? The, um, the movement towards that. But I think sometimes we take heaven to be simply a place where we won't suffer anymore, you know, and that's it. You know, like lay on a hammock and eat grapes and just sway for eternity kind of idea. And yeah, maybe lounging is part of eternity and what that looks like. I don't know, but that kind of sounds a lot like an island vacation to me. Um, and that kind of misses the point of heaven. We just sang a song that was titled Eternal Praise, not Eternal Pretzel Bites from the Snack Shack, you know. <laughs> heaven will not be my vacation. It'll be my home. It'll be your home too. And I won't want a vacation from it. My home means two things, right? Yes, it's my, my shelter, my structural shelter that I go to. But when it's empty of people and it's just me there, if my family's out, you know, it's kind of lonely. And I'm sure some of you have experienced that. Whether people are leaving the home, they've moved out, they've passed away, it's just kind of empty. My house provides me many physical comforts, of course, and praise God for that, those are important. But really it's my family that lives there and my friends that come over that make it a home. Later in Revelation, we're going to read Revelation 2 today, but later in Revelation, in Revelation 7, John captures heaven beautifully. This is Revelation 7, 15 to 17, it says, Therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them the springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I'll take that any day over an island vacation, wouldn't you? The key here to heaven isn't like the eternal rest. It's the person, right? Yes, needs are met. The scripture says there's a shelter. There's no hunger. There's no, thir no thirst. But Jesus isn't guiding me to a little cabana to relax for eternity. You know, He's there to wipe away every tear. No hotel manager can do that, right? So when I'm in heaven, I doubt I'll be running to the hammock or running to my golden house or whatever. I'll be running to God. I'll be running to Jesus. And so will all Christians. And why? Because we're finally home. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning that we can love you and trust you, that we know that you are moving for us, that you have an eternal home for us. Right now it's temporary. This gathering is temporary. We're here for a period of time. But then, God, we are moving on, whether we pass away or you come back, Lord, we are with you for eternity in heaven. And then you make this place new, God. Thank you that we can run to you this morning, God, that we can run to you here on earth. It's not just, well, I hope I get to heaven. It's no, God, through the Spirit, God is with us now, right now. And we can run to you now, Lord, and be with you now. And yet, for eternity, I am also set, God. Thank you that we can praise you now and also we will be praising you eternally in heaven, God. Please be with us as we continue to worship this morning. Amen. Carried a burden. 
I've carried a burden for too long on my own. I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. I see it now, I'm laying it down, and I know that I need you. I run to the Father, I fall into grace, I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend, so I'll run to the Father again and again and again and again. Oh, 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 you saw, you saw my condition, had a plan from the Praise God. Your son for redemption, the price for my heart. I don't have a contact for that kind of love. I don't understand. I can't comprehend. All I know is I need you. I run to the Father, I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. And so I'll run to the Father again and again and again and again. Oh, oh, again and again. Long before my first breath, running into your arms is running to life from death. And I feel this rush deep in my chest. Your mercy is calling out just as I am. You pull me I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. So I run to the Father again and again. I run to the Father, fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart found a surgeon, my soul found a friend. So I'll run to the Father again and again and again and again. Oh, oh, and again and again and again. Oh, oh, 
us in the gospel of Jesus. It's the hope of the ages. gospel of Jesus it's the hope of the ages burning brighter and brighter and standing forever the church he is building nothing can stop it it's a city that's shining a light in the darkness Nothing can stop it. Though Christ was dead, he's risen. Though Christ was dead, now surely he's risen. Yeah, he's coming back again. And Christ will reign in triumph word is the answer for all generations it will never be tainted it will never be broken this is our confession this is our conviction we believe what is written we believe we believe what you've spoken yes we believe Though Christ was dead, now surely he's risen. Yeah, he's coming back again, and Christ will reign in triumph forever. Sing hallelujah. Sing hallelujah. Christ is our redeemer. Shout
sing hallelujah Christ is our redeemer we shout hallelujah Jesus holds our future yes God we praise you this morning we thank you for that last line you hold our future we might be thinking of that as our literal earthly future but Lord it's beyond that of course right you've made a place for us in heaven we are set for heaven if we are Christians if we believe that Jesus died on the cross that he was the son of God is the son of God and took my sin upon himself, killing it on the cross, and then rising again from the dead, the only person in history to do so. If we believe that, Lord, if we just believe it and surrender ourselves to you and say, you know what, God, I've been running my life my own way, but I would like you to lead me now. That is so freeing, not to have to figure it out ourselves, to look for anything that will help us, anything. Some people will take any crumb, anything that can help them. But God, you offer so much more than crumbs, Lord. You offer eternal life, eternal forgiveness and freedom, eternity with you. God, we thank you this morning that we can sing together. Thank you that I will sing with these people in eternity as well. God, be with Pastor Doug now as he speaks from Revelation. God, may his words be your words. We love you, God. We trust you. Thank you that you hold our future. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome to the chapel. Uh, children five to eight years of age can be dismissed for junior church at this time. So if you're in that category, please feel free uh, to do that. All right, well, welcome. It's good to have you here. Good to see ya. Yeah, touch base afterwards. Good, 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 good. Sorry. Um, anyway, I'm not sorry I said it, but, but, but um, if you have your Bibles... I ask you to turn over to uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 to 29. We are dealing with the uh, seven churches that John writes to uh, in the book of Revelation. As a Christian, do you ever feel the pressure of a world around you which is calling you to compromise? If you don't, your eyes aren't open. You know? I mean, I mean, folks, we, we just had this huge decision made at the Supreme Court over the whole issue of abortion. Do you think that has a way of kind of revealing where people stand on things? And, and, and you as a Christian, you, you, you feel that pressure, don't you? You, you should. We just finished uh, Pride Month. You feel pressure with that? You should. And it's, it's always the challenge as the people of God because what does it mean not to compromise truth but to love people who are victims of a system which is anti-God? Do you see? We, 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 we love people. We completely oppose systems which ultimately destroy and hurt people. You see, so, but you feel the pressure. Any pressure from the pornography industry around us? 
You see, it just goes on and on. In the area of sexuality, there is incre incredible pressure faced upon the church of Jesus Christ. Um, entire denominations are splitting over these issues. United Methodist Church, the, the Christian Reformed Church has just voted, and they voted in the correct way against the whole issue of homosexual marriages. They, they took the right stand, but it's going to cost them. So, so the question is, what do we do as the people of God? What I love is that the scripture is not silent on these matters, folks. Because when you come to Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you'll actually find three of the seven churches, John explicitly talks about issues related to sexual immorality. Three of the seven. Because for a variety of reason, there's pressure. And, and, and at the end of the day, what John is calling for is for the people of God to be the unique people of God in a world that often will oppose them. In our day, we often talk about a post-Christian world. In the first century, the whole world was secular and, and anti-God and pagan. And it was into that world that this, these small, this small fledging church was called to be, be the people of God with incredible pressure coming upon it. Do you see? And so I will argue that we can find great solace and insight to see what Jesus says to them to kind of get a sense of what does that mean for us to be a church that is both unique and loving of all sinners who struggle. You see, it, all that stuff has to be kept in, in balance. Again, just by way of reminder, and again, hopefully you can see that where the arrows are pointed. We're looking at the church of Thyatira. Uh, James looked at the church of Pergamum two weeks ago. And both churches are having issues on issues related to sexual immorality. What, what's fascinating is, if you go back to the first church, Ephesus, it was too. Except, what the church of Ephesus, in other words, if you came into the church of Ephesus and you said like, so what's their position on people who are fudging on issues related to sexual immorality and, and the world? I mean, they were strong, man. They didn't fudge a bit on anything. Now, when it came to love, they had some things to be, that, that they needed to work on. You know, and isn't it hard in, the, in, in this world to keep all that in balance? Truth and love are always meant to be together. It's not love if it's not truth, right? But in our day, it's really easy to kind of ferret those out. And the church of Ephesus had the truth and was going to stand on it no matter what. And in the process, they drifted away from just a deep-seated loving passion for God and people. On the other hand, in the church of Pergamum and Thyatira, they, they, were, they were seeking to be faithful to God. Matter of fact, the church of Thyatira was growing. Trying to do this, but in the process of this, they were diminishing this. It's a tough balance. 
So watch what they do. Pergamum and Thyatira are a little bit different from my understanding, and I'll just give this to you real quick, and then we'll jump into the passage. In both accounts, the issue that comes up is eating things sacrificed to idols and sexual immorality. You're going like, okay, like, what's that all about? Well, part of it was that if, you, if we were living in the ancient world, everything we did would have been tied into the ancient temples. So if you're in Pergamum, where they have temples given over to the emperor himself, where when you go there, people will be involved in sexual immorality things as they worship deities because it ends up becoming a party time, all that stuff. In Pergamum, when people said, now I'm not going to go there. One guy lost, at least one guy, Antipas, lost his life over that. I mean, to take a stand against a culture that's saying, you better, in Pergamum, meant somebody lost his life. Doesn't seem like it's quite that's the same thing in Thyatira. There, the problem is losing your livelihood. Notice what it says. And because I think the situation is a little bit different. Thyatira, not near as significant as Pergamum. Smaller area. And, and they were known especially for what we call their trade guilds. Kind of like um, ancient unions, if I could say it that way. And what they would often do is these trade guilds would, would gather together. So if you were into dyes for clothing, maybe you would gather in this part of the city. If you were into metallurgy, then maybe you'd gather in this part of the city. So you'd, they, they would typically do that, which sounds kind of strange to us as Americans, because we would say, aren't you competing against everybody? Why would you possibly all be in the same part of the city? But that's what they did. But one of the things that happened in trade guilds is you would often then, as a guild, have your own patron god. And there's a lot to pick from in the ancient world. And Yahweh wasn't one of them. And they would pick their own patron God. And so if Doug Finkbeiner is part of this trade guild and he becomes a Christian, and this trade guild is all about getting together and you have a patron God and you have festivities. And you know, boys will be boys at these parties. So girls are brought in and what happens, happens. If that's the world I was used to, and now I become a Christian... What am I going to do? Because I have a livelihood. I make metal. I, I, I make dyes. Now nobody wants to associate with me because they say, oh, you're too good for us, Finkbinder. You don't want to be with us. Now, I, 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 I can't because of who you worship. I can't get together for the, I can love you as an individual, get together with meals, no problem. But I can't get together for those engagements. I can't do it. And, and bringing in the girls and all that. No, I can't do it. That's the kind of pressure this church, a small fledging church, is struggling with. Do you see the ties even to our own day? Oh, yeah, labels change a little bit, but it's pressure to conform and compromise. So what does Jesus say to this church? Come with me if you would. As we kind of walk our way through the passage, Jesus evaluates the church as a whole before he talks to some individuals within it. So let me read it. And here's the other thing. This, this is amazing to me. 
Just, and you, you realize this, it's not like Jesus, when he told John about this, said, hey, John, here's some of my kind of basic, simple, fuzzy ideas. I want you to go and say it however you want to say it. Is that what happens in this passage? Not in this passage. Jesus says, John, I want you to say exactly what I say. So this is coming right from Jesus Christ himself, the exalted Lord. Does that make sense? So, wow. Because he's going to say some things you're going to go like, if you're like me, you're going to go like, well, that was kind of strong. So we have to talk about it. Look at what he says. Verse 18 of Revelation 2. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God. That term Son of God is only used one time in the book of Revelation right here. God, is, God the Father has addressed his Father several times, but that term is only used here uniquely. Interesting. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. You know what he says right up front? I'm God. I'm in control. I'm the king who has fulfilled everything from the Old Testament. There's nobody higher than me. I am the son of God. Part of the Trinity itself. I mean, it's just like you go like, well, maybe I better just listen here. And he says, my eyes are like blazing fire. You know what that means? That means there's nothing you do that he doesn't see. And he sees in the very core of your heart. And he knows why you believe it and why you think it and why you want it. He knows the whole thing. He can see. When Doug Finkbeiner says something, he knows what he says. He knows why he says the whole thing. Jesus sees and knows it all. That can be good or bad, right? I mean, because if, it's, if I'm doing stuff I shouldn't be doing, not so good. If I'm living in repentance before him, that's pretty good. He says, he's the son of God at the top and he sees everything and his feet are like burnished uh, bronze. Which is really interesting he uses that image because this town was known for what they did with bronze. And it speaks of the fact that he is completely unmovable and strong. And before he says anything to the church, he says, I'm at the top. I know everything and I can do anything. Before I tell you anything else, just know who you're dealing with. So the church is going like, okay, better hear what he wants to say. And he starts here. In his evaluation, he starts by talking about a growing church. And, and this is what I think is really, I, I want to read it, then I want to kind of explain it, because I think it's really interesting to me. He says in verse 19, I know your deeds. I know your love. I know your faith, your service, and your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at the first. You know, if you visited this church just on a Sunday, first time you came in, I think you'd look around, you say, this place is cooking. 
Wouldn't you? I mean, they love and they're people who trust God and they stay at it and they're growing. Maybe not in numbers, but in depth. New ministries, seeing people come to faith. All that stuff is happening. So don't look at this, this, this church and say like, oh, this is a bad church. This is, a, this is actually, a, in many ways, a, a growing, pretty good church. That's compromised, that part, parts, parts. Do, do we do that? Do, do we have churches where God is at work doing things, but they still can reserve a section of that church where things are just not dealt with? Compromise goes on? And, and they just say, well, it's going to be, if we deal with that, the world's going to hate us too much. We got to be real careful here, you know? Did you see? So he looks at this church and he says, you're a growing church. And, and I appreciate that. Jesus is completely honest here. But then he raises the problem that they have. Oh, oh here's, here's what I'm going to say too. So I, I would argue it is possible for a church to be doing a lot of good things well and, and to take stands on certain things in the culture, frankly. But in certain areas, because it will cost too much, they pull back. Does that make sense? That's kind of how I view this church. They're doing a lot of really good things, but they're pulling back in certain areas. Look at what he says in verse 19. I'm in verse 20, sorry. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel. Let me read it and then try to explain it because this is, this is strong, okay? You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, that fire right in the eyes, and I will repay each of you according to your own deeds. Well, that's a real easy path. It's the kind of passage you want to read before you go to bed at night. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's strong, isn't it? So, like, what, what, what do we do with this? First of all, I think whoever this woman is, and we don't know, you, you read scholars, everybody's, everybody's trying to figure it out. One scholar even argues, hey, wasn't Lydia from Thyatira initially? And although Paul met her in Philippi, maybe she went back and she's this woman. How would you possibly know that? I, 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 that, that seems completely bogus to me. Anyway, people, you know, who, who was this Jezebel woman? I have absolutely no idea. Okay. And no one else does either. Here's one thing I'm quite certain about. She wouldn't have called herself Jezebel. Herself Jezebel. You know, it wasn't like 
parents had a child and said, ah, what are we going to name her? Let's name her Jezebel. Yeah, we'll call her Jezzy for short or, or something like that. Do you, do you think that's, no, no. This is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings looking at a scenario here at Thyatira and he says, that woman who calls herself a prophetess is in reality just like Jezebel. Wow. Jesus is not holding back at all on this. What do we know about Jezebel? Ahab's wife. Ahab, good guy. <laughs> Matter of fact, the text, 1 Kings tells us that Ahab was worse than Jeroboam who had come before him. And he was the worst guy before Ahab. I mean, he was bad news through and through. And to make it even worse, he marries Jezebel, who's tied specifically to Baal and Baal worship, and all of the idolatry and sexual immorality that comes with that. And so when Jesus looks at this woman, he says, you are doing to the church what Jezebel was doing to the nation of Israel. Wow. What's she doing? Look at what it says. And the problem is you tolerate this woman who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. So what's going on here? And, and again, um, we have to try to piece some things together and can't be dogmatic about everything. But let, let, me, let me give you a possible scenario here. Um, I, I can imagine that this woman was probably a woman of some significance and influence in the community. Because that in and of itself um, puts pressure on the church not to rock the boat. Doesn't it? I mean, you can see that. And, and I wonder if it's similar to the kind of thing that Paul struggles with in the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, stay with me here because I don't want to get too technical. This idea of meat, stuff sacrificed to idols and, and sexual immorality and, and, and idolatry and all that kind of stuff. This isn't the first time we see this in the scripture. The, the, the church had to deal with this in Acts 15. And, and, and in that particular passage, when, when Paul and the, the council makes this really strong statement, salvation is by grace through faith alone. Gentiles do not have to become Jews to become believers. You know, it made it really strong. But in the midst of all that, James, James the, the head of the church there at, at Jerusalem, said, look, could you just tell the Gentile churches so as not to offend the Jews to be very, very careful in this area of eating, eating meat sacrificed to idols and things strangled and blood and sexual immorality and all that. And, and we could go into it, but there's all kinds of debates on scholars what's all going on there. Here's what I would say is this. Paul went out of that council and when he went, he, he, he kind of teased this and nuanced this out, but when he was dealing with the church in Corinth, one of the things he told them is, it's permissible to eat meat that is sacrificed to idols. Because in that day, it was virtually impossible to eat any meat that wasn't sacrificed to idols. That's what they did. They sacrificed it to idols, and then the stuff left over, they took it to the meat market, and they made it free for people. And Paul said, you go to a meat market, you get some meat, you go home and you want to eat that, eat it to the glory of God. 
If, on the other hand, a Christian who came out of all the temple paganism gets together with you and they see that you're eating meat offered to idols, then, you know, break out the rice and beans or, or, or something. You know, be sensitive to where people are. So Paul talked about that. But then in 1 Corinthians 10, he said this. Because the problem at Corinth was this. You had some people at Corinth who went far too far and they said this. Look, how many gods are there? One, Yahweh. Got it. So when I go in and we're having a special temple service to Serapis or Apollo or whoever. Um, there is no Apollo or Serapis, right? No, there isn't. That's true. Well, then it doesn't matter what I do. You know? I mean, I only believe there's one God. There's no other gods. I don't believe there, there's any gods there. So I can go and I can go through the worship service. I don't really care. It doesn't make any difference. I don't believe it. They may believe it, but I don't believe it. So I'm free. I'm free in Christ. I know what they don't know. Could you see people? That's exactly how certain people at Corinth were, were reasoning through this process. I'm in the know. And Paul was saying, wait a second in 1 Corinthians 10. When you're sitting there in that temple, there's no true God behind all that, but there's Satan and the demons behind that. You can't do that. You think you're in the know. You can't do that. That's going far too far. It's wrong. It's sinful. You also had people at Corinth that were saying, Sex isn't so bad outside of marriage because they had a quote. The body is for food and food is for the body and God will destroy both of them. First Corinthians 6. And so you had certain people at Corinth that were saying, you can do whatever you want with the body. You, you want to be, be engaged in temple worship and then sleep with a woman afterwards or a, a temple, a, a, a prostitute connected to all that? Completely fine. Because... Body's going to be gone one day anyway, so it doesn't really matter. And Paul goes, no, 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 stop, stop. So you've got people at Corinth saying, you can sit in that temple, you can have sex, doesn't make any difference at all. And Paul's got to go in and say, you're completely wrong. You violate created creation order, you dishonor God, you don't understand marriage, you don't understand sex, and he has to go after all that stuff. And you read First Corinthians, like every chapter, isn't he correcting something? Every chapter, he's going like, hey, I'm going to talk to you about this one. Okay, when we're done, now I've got to talk to you about this one. Now this one. I mean, just one thing after another. And so in their day, you can have people justifying being in a temple, having sex, and still being a good Christian. It happened at Corinth. And I would argue it's happening with Jezebel at the church of Thyatira. The same kind of thing. And I can hear her reasoning. They get together and they, she says, look, I got this straight connection with God. And I know what John says, whatever. But how many gods are there? There's only one. So there's not that there's no such thing as Apollo. So you don't have to worry about it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, but they do the they bring the girls in at the end and they do all the sexual stuff. Yeah, yeah. Food is for the body, and the body is for food, but God will destroy both of them. You don't have to worry about it. Just do it. And so apparently you have 
her reasoning probably like that in this church. And certain Christians are thinking like, hey, you know, if she's right, I won't lose out economically at all by staying part of that trade guild. That'll work out great. Huh. Yeah, I kind of like her teaching after all. Is it easy for people with itching ears to wait for just the right teacher who says just the right thing that justifies the compromised position they want to have in the world? Of course. None of this, you read this, it's like all through the New Testament. It's like everywhere. It's like Visa, you know? It's, it's everywhere. And my guess is she's reasoning something like that. Here's what's fascinating to me in this passage. The text tells us that Jesus has given her time to repent. That, that tells me somebody has talked with her. Somebody. Or, 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 or maybe... In her moments when she's alone with God and she really thinks about it, she's got to say, I am completely wrong in what I'm saying. But, but, but at some point, she knows this ain't right. Isn't, sorry. But she persists in it nonetheless. And she says, I'm not going to change. And it's bad of, an, of, of a problem enough so that she has children. And when we see children here, I don't think they're talking about physical children. I think they're talking about individuals who are like her children in the sense that they're following her teaching. Paul will speak that way in 1 Corinthians 4. He'll say, I'm a father and you're like my children because you've, you've bought into what I've said at some level. But he also talks about people who are committing adultery with her and that seems to be people who are playing with her teaching. You have her children that are totally into her teaching. You have Jezebel, whoever this woman is who is teaching it. You've got people that are saying like, you know, that would really work out well for me to stay in the trade guild the way I want. And they're, they're, they're hearing it. And John says, you know what? He, he uses the language of immorality physically, which was going on here. He now turns it to something that is more spiritual and says, the whole thing is spiritual adultery. The whole thing. Because you're violating your relationship with God and you're violating relationship with one another. The whole thing is just immorality. And he says, Jesus says, I'm going to come. And when I come, this woman who's okay with using the bed in a way that's inappropriate, she is going to be thrown onto a bed, but this bed will be a bed of sickness for her. And all of her children that buy into what she says, I'm going to punish them too. And the people who are playing with it, if they don't repent, I will punish them also. When did this happen exactly with the church of Thyatira? We don't know. Is physical um, illness and death sometimes the result of God's judgment? Yes, sometimes. You have to be very careful with that because we are not called to be judges. And more often than not, it's what God allows into our lives to further his glory 
in, in, in very challenging situations, okay? So to be very, very, very careful in this one. But sometimes it is. And in this case, he says, I'm going to come in at some particular point and I'm going to bring judgment upon them. Just like at the church at Corinth, remember people were so violating the Lord's Supper that he said, some among you sleep. Doesn't mean they slept in that morning. Like, well, I was really tired in this church. They're dead. They've been judged by God. And so there is a point in which that can happen. And he says, I'm going to do that so that all the churches will know that I am the God who sees all and can do anything. And you will answer to me. Do you know physical judgment? Judgment temporal. Let me say it this way. Temporal judgment that people experience in this world is a reminder of eternal judgment that awaits all. Unless you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And Jesus says, there are times I am patient, 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 but there are times when I step in, and when I step in, I will judge. As a reminder of who I am and what is coming. Strong words, isn't it? I think for the church of Thyatira, they probably felt they had so much on their plate that when they had this issue with, with Jezebel, and I don't know what her name really was, they, but, but this prophetess, whoever this was, I think if you would have said, hey, what about that prophetess woman? They'd probably roll their eyes and say, yeah, I know, it's, it's a problem, but we got a lot of, we, there's a lot of fronts to be dealing with right now, uh, you know, and we're trying to win people to Christ, and we just kind of, I don't endorse it, but, but we tolerate it. Can you see that happening? I can completely see that. I think it's exactly what's going on here in this church. And Jesus is saying, you can't tolerate evil. Because there's always offspring. This woman had spiritual children. And there's other people that buy into it. So if she can't be in a place of influence in this church where you will lead people astray. It's a strong, strong statement. Look, uh, look down, if you will, in verse 24, where he says this. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, because my guess is the vast majority had not bought into what this woman and her followers were doing. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. So she was probably saying something like, Hey, I want to give you a deep teaching from Paul or from, or from the Lord, not from Paul, because Paul would have gone against it, from, from the Lord. And that means, you know what everybody says about watch out for sexual immorality and all that? Oh, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, I got some deep thoughts for you here. John and Paul, they skate around up here, but let me give you some really in the know stuff. I've got science behind me or, or whatever they would have said. Okay? 
And Jesus says, they may think it's deep thoughts. I call it satanic. Wow. He doesn't pull back at all. I will not impose any other burden on you except the burden not to tolerate evil. You can't, you can't do that. That kind of compromise will destroy people. Except to hold on to what you have until I come. You know what? I want you to be my faithful people who stay the course until I come back. In that process, you're going to face all kinds of pressure from the world around you. Hey, it's not that bad. I'll never forget years ago, I flew down to um, uh, somewhere in North Carolina. And so I was in Charlotte and I was coming out and there was this big billboard that said, um, feed your appetites. And guess what it was talking about? It wasn't saying go to the local giant or, um, or whatever. You know what it was talking about? It was advertising a gentleman's club in, the, in, in that area. I mean, that, that is our world, isn't it? It's okay. You deserve a break today. Trust your heart. It's okay. It, it's okay to violate what God says about, about marriage. Uh, it, it's okay. It, it, it's okay to endorse homosexuality as a lifestyle. It's okay to endorse a transgender agenda. It's okay. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Uh, folks, this is all sexual stuff that we're facing today. Guy has written a, a book recently. Um, he's written two books, but his shorter version is called, called uh, Strange New World. Uh, and and uh, it's, a, it's a book worth reading. And he just tracks from way before the 60s, but he tracks what has happened in our country leading up to where we find ourselves now. And it's very, very, it's, it's, and it, he writes in a way that's, he, he's not fire brimstone, he's not that kind of a guy, but it's definitely worth looking at. Here's our world. We live with all these kinds of pressures. And Jesus says, you know what I want you to do is, in the midst of all that pressure, even if it costs you at work, even if it costs you at school, even if it costs you here or costs you there, or people think this or people think that, I want you to be my faithful people. I want you to love and embrace all people. If somebody comes and they're struggling in any one of those areas, you embrace them, you love them. Somebody comes up to me and says, hey, I'm struggling with pornography. Do I go like, sinner, get out of here, sinner? No. I welcome them because they want to deal with it. They want to learn victory and strengthen that. Someone says, I'm struggling with homosexual thoughts and intents and relationships and, and transgender. No, we welcome that. We, we don't say, get out of here. I'm struggling with it. We, we want to help them, but we want to help them. We don't want to endorse it. There's a big difference. We will not promote it because it's a damning heresy. The world's heresies are damning. Gods are liberating. But we welcome all who struggle with whatever they struggle with. That's who we are as the people of God. 
Do we not struggle? Finkbeiner's got his whole set of issues too. God is always in the process of, I live my whole life repenting, and so do you. But that's what Christians do. They repent. They keep bringing themselves back under God's word and finding his strength and perspective. That's who we are. That's what we do. He ends by saying this in verse 26. I love this. Because you may be hearing this, you may be saying like, man, Finkbeiner, this is like, this is hard. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations that that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father. You know what he's saying there? You read that quickly, you might think like, oh, whatever, dash in pottery, whatever. This is really incredible to me. You know what he says? What does he say to his church who's trying to be a pure church? And therefore deals with things within it when false teaching comes in. They deal with it. That's what they do. Jesus says, you know what? If you go back and look at Psalm 2, there was a promise made to the ultimate Davidic king, which is Jesus Christ, that he will rule everything one day. And this particular verse goes right back to Psalm 2. But you know what this text says? Jesus says, yeah, that is me. And we're going to see it in Revelation 19, clearly. But Jesus says, I want you to know that as my faithful people, you will join me in this intimate relationship of ruling with me one day, Revelation 20. No, I thought that was a promise to you, Jesus, and to you alone. It is a promise to Jesus, ultimately. That's true. But Jesus wants to bring us in and say, I want you to share that with me. Which is why Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that Jesus Christ is the ultimate son, but he calls us co-heirs with him. Isn't that amazing? God's faithful people will one day rule with Jesus. The promises given to him are ours because we are united to him. It's amazing. Jesus says, you get to minister with me. But I call you to be faithful now. And then he goes on and says this in verse 28. I will also give that one the morning star. Like, what's that? Do you know in Revelation chapter 22... Jesus tells us that he is the morning star. Jesus says in this passage, you know what my faithful people get? They get me. They get me. My identity, their identity, my, we, we're like this. They minister with me. They're with me. They get me. Which is why he ends by saying this. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know what I know when I, I've said this to you before. You know one of the things that encourages me when I preach? When I'm preaching on the outside, guess who's ministering in the inside? 
the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? Because like if it was just Doug Finkfeiner and he had to try to persuade everybody, pure catastrophe, pure catastrophe. But as I speak on the outside, faithfully what he has said in the text, his spirit works in the inside and tells his people, yes, 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 yes. Think, think of those areas where you've made compromise. Stop. Repent. If you're struggling, get help. Stop. Start doing this. And you say, but it's hard. Yes, it's hard. But I am with you, the Spirit says. And the end, Christ is with you. And the end game is you will be with him forever. So stay faithful to me now. So as I say that on the outside, the Spirit of God is saying that on the inside. Calling you to respond to what he says. So if you want a one sentencer, here, here it is. As a church, reject spiritual compromise within the church while growing in faithful and loving service because of who Christ is, the all-knowing and all-powerful one, and what he promises, his future oversight, future oversight and intimacy with him. That's a package, isn't it? We are not going to get away from the pressure on the outside, folks. I mean, the term some scholars will use is we're, we're experiencing the de-Christianizing of America, uh, assuming that America was fully Christian at one point, and there's debates on all this thing. But as much as it can, it's taking vestiges of that away to make it much more secular. So the pressure's not going anywhere. I think we just have to realize that. And, and it doesn't mean that we become this cloister. I live in Amish country, you know? And the approach the Amish have taken to all this is they're living pretty much the same way they've lived for 150 years, except some of their, some of their boys wear skateboard, uh, you know, go around on skateboards and, and stuff. So it's, it's not exactly, you know, but, but still, you know, they've largely just kind of, that's not our job. You know what our job is? Our job is to be a unique community of faith that pictures to the world around us what God has always intended for humanity. I, I, I'm not going to go pick, picketing on all this stuff, you know? I, I'm, I'm not, not going to go out and start a protest on why, why you know, during Pride Month, I'm going to go out there and be protesting. When all, no, I'm not going to do it. I, I, I'm not, you know what I'm going to do instead? I'm going to be part of a unique community of faith that is learning more and more what it means to be sexually pure in a completely sexually impure culture. And at the core there is always the same thing. It's idolatry, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, I want what I want rather than what God wants. Isn't that the core of idolatry? It's, it's how it works. That's how we are. And, and, and what I would argue is God wants you and I to be part of a unique community that is always welcoming sinners. Because who else would you welcome? Because we're all sinners. And their problems are sometimes sexual, sometimes the materialism. They're all kinds of things. But we always tell them there's hope and freedom in Jesus Christ. And we will walk with you through your struggles so that you too can experience what God has called us to be. This is a call for the church to be the church. 
not to go out and pick at all the governmental systems and all that kind of, and I'm not saying you shouldn't be a good citizen, you should do that too, but that's not the point of this text. This text is concerned about the purity of the church in a world that is very impure. So God help us. I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what struggles you may be having. Things that the spirit of God is saying, stop, stop. And you say, I don't know how to work through that. And come talk. There's plenty of believers here that would love to talk to you. Or, or maybe it's, I can't take it anymore. The spirit of God says, you can't, but God can walk you through this. He's with you. The spirit is with you. It's all going to make sense in the end. Find my strength, God says, when you think you have nothing left in yourself. That's what God calls us to, folks. The chapel, to be a, a place that loves all, but holds on to purity and truth. Father, it is so easy for us to, make, to compromise, Lord. All of us individually in our lives and then to excuse it away for a whole host of reasons that kind of make sense in our thinking. Father, will you guide, guard us from that? Guard us from falsehood and evil and compromise in a whole host of areas, not just in the area of sexuality, but certainly in that area too. And then, Father, through your spirit, overwhelm us afresh with the wonders of who we are in Jesus Christ. We know Christ. He is for us. He's coming home, coming back for us one day. And may that be the motivation to remain the pure people of God that, in, that reaches out and loves sinners because we believe of the hope of the gospel of Christ. So Lord, continue that good work, we pray in our lives and use us in the lives of those around us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Turn your eyes. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes to the hillside Where justice and mercy embrace There the Son of God gave His life for us And our measureless debt was erased 
Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Turn your eyes. Turn your eyes to the morning and see Christ the Lion awake. What a glorious dawn, fear of death is gone, for we carry his life in our veins. Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. Our glory and our pride. We adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Turn your eyes to the Turn our eyes to you, Jesus, to you we lift our eyes, Jesus, our glory and our prize, we adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true, oh Jesus, we turn our eyes to you, oh Jesus. We turn our eyes to you. Yes, Lord, this morning we thank you that we can turn our eyes to you, look to you. Uh, face with a world, Lord, with a lot of a lot of issues. Uh, face with people with a lot of issues, Lord, looking and desperate for help. God, may we turn our eyes to you first. Look to Jesus. Ask him to show us, to teach us through your word. How we should respond. How we should be as Christians. God, we come to church on Sunday morning uh, to be encouraged and uplifted. To be equipped. To go from this place, Lord, so that we can speak truth to a world that is hurting and looking for truth. Lord, this week when we come face to face with some of these larger issues that we're dealing with as a country, that we're dealing with as a society, Lord, may we look to you first. May we approach with love. 
with understanding of these people who have different views than us because apart from Jesus Christ and his saving grace in our life, we're just like them, we're just as lost, we're no different, we're no better. We are just saved and we are redeemed because of what Jesus has done for us. So God, help us to be that loving light that you've put in our hearts to a world that desperately needs it, God. God, be with us as we go from this place and into our weeks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a nice week. Thank you.